All right, let's go ahead and jump into the message. We've been in a series on the book of Exodus. Everyone say Exodus. Wow, that was not everyone. Fellas over here, stop talking. Everyone say Exodus. Sweet. We've been on a series in the book of Exodus, and just to kind of catch you up, we talked the first week about how God hears. Everyone say God hears. And so we see that in the midst of the people's slavery, that God hears the cry of the people for help. That God is a close God who is up close and personal. He listens to his people. And that means for us as the people of God under the new covenant that God hears our prayers. So everyone say God hears. Then we got God is permanent. Everyone say permanent. We talked about God revealing his holy name as I am. He says, I am who I am, which means I be who I be, meaning he has always been the same. He will continue to be the same. and He's the same right now. That's who our God is. And last week we talked about how God atones. Everyone say God atones. Now what this means is that we see that in the Passover, the 10th plague that God puts on Egypt, that God tells the people of Israel to kill a lamb without blemish. Hey, guys, over here, let's stop passing the shoes. Pay attention. To kill a lamb without blemish. And when they would do that, they would paint the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And after doing that, that would mean that the angel of death would not come to that house, that God would pass over them. We see that Jesus is the lamb of God who pays for our sins. So we say God atones. Everyone say God atones. Today we're jumping in to Exodus 15. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Who brought a Bible? Does anyone bring a Bible to church? There's a few of you. Amazing. It's so rare. Underlining is great. It helps you remember things. So if you have your paper Bibles, go to Exodus 15. If you don't have it, it's going to be up on the screen. This is right after the song of Moses and the song of Miriam where they are just partying, having the best time ever, celebrating that God like literally split the sea for them to be able to go across and he saved them. And now we get into Exodus 15, verse 22 to 27. Here we go. It says, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, everyone say Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah. Everyone say Marah. Because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. Everyone say Marah. You guys, you guys see a pattern here. Marah is important. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. It's like that high-quality Colorado water. Who's ever lived outside of Colorado here? Like, okay, if you are from any other state, you know that like, the water in your state is probably, like, absolutely awful. Like, I just came from Oklahoma. If you drink the tap water, it's like, I think a cow peed in this. Like, I, there's no way I'm drinking this. Like, it's not, it's just not Colorado water, like the springs, the minerals, it's beautiful. So be grateful for little things. You get beautiful mountains and you get great spring water. So they throw the log in. The water becomes sweet. And it says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Everyone say healer. Verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. Everyone go ahead and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that you love us so much. 
that over this series we've been able to learn more about how you reveal yourself to us as a God who is close, as a God who hears us, as a God who is unchanging, meaning you are always faithful, you are always loving, you're always just, you're a beautiful God. Lord, just as we were leaning in to worship and Pastor Tim was calling us to have faith, to bring our helpless situations, to bring our hopelessness, to bring the struggles in our hearts to you. I pray tonight that every single one of us would fix our eyes on you in dependence, knowing that apart from you, we have nothing. So would you come, Lord, and show us more of who you are in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We as a people, to be human means that often we need healing throughout our lives, right? We need healing or of some sort, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, whatever that looks like. Sometimes you're going to get hurt physically. Sometimes there's going to be something emotionally that is difficult. But something that it's like to be human is that we all need healing sometimes. I remember this very special story. I'm glad Pastor Victor's in here in the back with the long hair. We're brothers in case you didn't know. That's him. The long hair helps like distinguish us or otherwise we look the same. And same with Pastor Tim. And we all dress the same, so it's just not helpful. But when I was about three or four years old, I had a pretty traumatic incident happen where I needed healing. Everyone say healing. So when I was three or four, as I talked about last week, being the youngest child, and as the youngest child, you always want to do everything that your older like siblings do. That's some of you in this room. So one day, it's the fall, and, and I'm Victor and my sister Michaela, my brother Augustine, they're all leaving the house. And so like little like three, four-year-old me, I was like a really chubby, super cute baby. I feel like you can like hype up your old like baby self and like it's not prideful. Like if you hype up your like current self, it's like, bro, shut up. Like no one wants to hear that. But if you're like three or four, you can be like, oh, like I was a cute kid. But so little cute three, four-year-old me, I'm like, like waddling slash running over to like want to like go out the door with my siblings because they're cool. I want to be cool. I want to hang out with them. And so my brother Victor, you know, he's obviously faster than me. He was older then. But so he goes out and, and so as he's leaving, he closes the front door behind him. But obviously me with like FOMO, I want to go out and hang out with them. I put my hand out to stop the door. The problem is, is that A, he was closing the door. So that's a bad day. But also it's a very windy day in the fall. So I stick out my hand in the middle of the door and all of a sudden just <laughs> door hits my third finger. Just like boom, instantly like, I'm sorry if you guys are grossed out by this. I don't care. I instantly blood squirts everywhere. Like three, four year old me is squealing in pain, just like losing my mind. And so once like we move the door, which is not supposed to be between like a finger and the doorpost, we move the door and my finger is literally like holding on by a thread. It's literally dangling. Like it's, it's literally like this, just, just dangling, holding on holding on by a little bit of flesh. And so, like, I'm losing my mind. I'm crying. I'm sure, like, Victor felt super, super terrible. I was, like, a seven-year-old. But so my mom, like, comes, like, drives us, like, to the, to the ER to make sure that my finger doesn't fall off. She's like, I won't do this because holding up my third finger would be bad. I'm not going to do that to you guys. But my mom is, like, holding up my hand with, like, a napkin around that finger um, so I don't, like, bleed out to death. That would be bad. And, you know, it's, like, science like hand above your head, makes the blood, not rush, all that stuff. But so mom like takes me all the way to the hospital with my hand up in the air and they get stitches to make sure 
thing, like the finger doesn't fall off. Thankfully, I do have 10 fingers, the healing of God, praise God. That's the sermon. But as a little kid, the first time I got stitches was for this finger. And we saw that often healing looks like repairing. Everyone say repairing. Or another way to say it is, is mending, where there was, there was something wrong with my finger, where it was dangling and just barely holding on by a thread. And through stitches, they were able to put it back on correctly. We see in this passage in Exodus 15 that God reveals himself as healer. Everyone say healer. Now this word in Hebrew, the, the root word for it is rafa. Everyone say rafa. Sounds like a nice fun word. Rafa. It means to heal, to cure, to repair, or to mend. So this is when God is saying that he is healer. It's coming from this root word. Now before we talk about this some more, let's, let's set the context of what's going on in Exodus 15. It's like we talked about last week. We have the ten plagues that God does to Egypt where God reveals his mercy but also reveals his justice. And he shows that he is the true God over all things. And so God does plague after plague in order to set his people free from the land of Egypt. Everyone tracking so far? Sweet. So we see that God does these ten plagues, brings his people out of the land of Egypt, and they come up to the sea. And so they come up to the sea. They've left Egypt. And now like they're encamping by the sea. Super beautiful. It's like a vibe. You've got the waves going from the sea. But then you have Pharaoh's army pursuing the people of Israel. And immediately they start grumbling. Everyone say grumbling. Grumble is like one of my favorite words in like the Old Testament. It's just like... I never hear like, okay, bro, are you like grumbling right now? Like no one like really uses it. I just like picture like a toddler just like doing the whole like stop, drop, and roll, just anger, like screaming, like I'm not moving. That's what I picture with grumbling. So immediately the people start complaining. They're grumbling against Moses and God. They literally say at the sea, did you bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Like, like that's just so like... <laughs> dark. Like, so God just wanted us to, like, to bury us out here. It's like what they're saying. Like, they, they're instantly hopeless. Even after they had seen God do all sorts of miraculous things in Egypt, immediately when circumstances changed and something was difficult, they immediately just are, like, grumbling against God. They're complaining. They're like, God, there's, like, why did you bring us out here just to die? Then we see the miracle of the, of, of the splitting of the sea. And so God splits the sea. The Israelites go through on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians come to follow after them, God makes the waters fall over them. Which takes us to the beginning of Exodus 15, where we have the song of Moses and Miriam. Everyone say Moses and Miriam. And so we have this, one of the first worship songs recorded in the Bible. And they're, they're testifying to what God has done, to his faithfulness in delivering his people. And it's this epic moment, right? They're like, they're on like cloud nine. They're super happy. Like they got like Miriam's got like the tambourine and they're dancing. Like it's like a lit worship party. Picture like the coolest like worship retreat you've ever been to times a million. Cause like they're out like by the sea and super beautiful, right? So they're just losing their mind. Super, super grateful to the Lord. And then it takes us to verse 22 where Moses leads the people into the wilderness to this place called Marah. And instantly the people grumble, starting in verse 24. It says, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Okay, so the people go through the wilderness and instantly they start grumbling. Everyone say grumbling. And what we see here is that despite everything that God had done through the ten plagues that he does in Egypt, through the splitting of the sea, like the, the, the Israelites have seen some of the most miraculous things on earth like that could ever happen. And immediately... They forget what God has done and they start to 
grumble. And this is where we see, we pick up, this is where we pick up in Exodus 15, is the grumbling of the people. Now you see, when you look at the grumbling of the people throughout the whole book of Exodus, it's often based on two things. Familiarity, everyone say familiarity. And comfort, everyone say comfort. And so you see that when the people grumble against God, and we'll see this in the next few chapters in Exodus, they often say things like, well, we had enough food in Egypt, it'd be better for us just to be there. Okay, or, or hey, like we, we lived a great life over in Egypt. We had food, we had water, we had everything we wanted. Like it'd be better for us just to go back to Egypt. Now, if you've been like listening to the, like the book of Exodus and tracking with us over the last few weeks, you know that this is like horribly untrue, right? Like the Egyptians are killing their baby boys. Like I, I wouldn't want to go back to a place where it's like if my wife and I have like a baby boy, they're going to throw them in the Nile, right? Like knowing their right mind would do that, or, or like this is a place where they were undergoing such harsh slavery that God needed to deliver them because of the harsh demands that were on them. But the people, because of familiarity and comfort, were like, we might as well just go back to Egypt because we had food and we had water. You see grumbling of the people immediately because of comfort and familiarity. And you see, we often do this as believers, Right? Everyone look at me. We often do this as believers where God will, God will do these incredible things. And in the summer, we, we were going through a series called God of Miracles. And we as a youth group prayed for God to do miracles during service. And we saw God do healings and provide for miraculous situations. It was absolutely amazing. But we come from experiences like that or feeling the Holy Spirit in worship or all these incredible things. And then who knows that like, the day after those experiences, we can be like in our quiet time and be like, God, why won't you speak to me? You're so far. Like my life is horrible. It's like instantly like we, we change on a dime so fast because we forget God's faithfulness. Everyone say we forget. We often forget just like the people of Israel did. And this is where we pick up in Exodus 15. What we see is that God wants to take the people through the wilderness and through Marah to bring them to the super great place. We see in the last verse of the chapter, it says, Then they came, then they came to Elam, where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. I like just envisioning, like, the best beach you've ever been to, okay? Like, if you've ever been to a nice beach, Destin, Florida, gorgeous. Have you been, I've been to the Philippines. That beach was, like, just the best. But so imagine, like, God brings them to, like, the best beach. They have, like, food, water, coconuts, the ocean, like, the whole nine. Like, they are, they're totally vibing. But in order to get them there, God brought them through the wilderness. But so easy, it's so easy that when our circumstances change, we immediately say, God, why are you doing this? And, and God, why are you putting me through this? And why won't you give me this? Or why are you allowing this? This is often what we do as believers. So I want to suggest three quick things to you that we learn about God through this passage. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write these down. First of all, God calls us to obedience for our own good. Go ahead and write that down if you're taking notes. God calls us to obedience for our own good. Something we see throughout the book of Exodus is this contrast between Pharaoh and and between God, right? Where we have Pharaoh who is this unjust ruler, this unjust king. He puts the people through harsh slavery. He makes their demands worse and worse, which is a picture of what sin does to us. And we see that, that Pharaoh kills all the baby boys. We see that he is this power-hungry, self-seeking leader. 
Okay, so that's a picture of Pharaoh. But then on the other hand, we have a picture of God and what it looks like for God to be our king, for God to be our leader. And what we see here is that God calls his people to obedience, but it's not because he's a harsh taskmaster. I want everyone to look at me. Everyone look at me. So often in Christianity, we hear things about God calling us to obedience or you know, maybe Jesus says, like, if you love me, like, you'll keep my commands. And, and we hear kind of like this, this really, like, harsh coach being like, come on, like, do another, like, like running drill. Do another, like, or we hear, like, a, like a, a harsh teacher. Like, okay, like, you need to do better. Like, you need to study more. Like, a B plus is awful. Like, you better, like, we hear, like, this, like, harsh tone with the writer. Maybe, maybe you hear the voice of, like, a parent. Someone important in your life that is, that's always saying, you need to do better, do more, do this different, kind of this, this nagging. And sometimes when we think about obedience to God, we think about it like God, like God is like that type of king, that type of ruler. If you're honest, I think a lot of us would say that we felt that before. And it's okay to feel that. Sometimes, sometimes we can feel that because of our human experiences. What we see about God is that God calls us to obedience, but it's not because God's insecure and like he needs us, okay? God doesn't, God doesn't need us. If you disobey, it's not taking anything away from him. He's still God, but he calls us to obedience for our own good. Everyone say, my own good. And so we see that in, in this story where God calls the people and he calls them to go through a certain land. But because the people, they doubted the character of God, they assumed that what God was calling them to do in obedience was just like Pharaoh telling them, go and, go and build more bricks and go and build more cities. But God was showing them that he is different. You see, the people didn't understand the purpose for their circumstances. And that's why they grumbled against God. And they forgot his faithfulness and that the fact that he is a God who takes care of them. We learn this in Exodus 1, Exodus 2, God hears us. He cares about us. And the reality is, is that the reason why God takes the people through Marah is so they can get to Edom, right? And so like where we get, where we start in this passage is the wilderness, but God brings them to this place where there's plenty of water and palm trees and it's a really good land. So we see that God calls us to obedience for our own good. I found this, this note in my Bible. It says, the statute, which means like a rule, okay? So God says, if you will listen to me and, and follow my commandments, then I will show myself as the Lord, your healer, right? And what it says is the statute or the law was to demonstrate by means of testing the people of Israel, the rule that if the people would diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, he would graciously care for them as their healer. What we see here is that God makes laws to protect his people. Ever say to protect. Have, have any of you guys ever read through the book of Leviticus? No shame if you haven't. Yeah, it's probably like very few of us. If, you ever, if you've ever like started it, you know, you, like you start reading it and you're like, what is this? Like don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk? Like, <laughs> like, God, like God, why? Like there's like a bunch of like just like strange passages that it's like sometimes hard to translate in, uh, in our, our current day. What we see often in the law is that God gives us these commandments for our own good. For example, God says if someone is sick or has like an out, like is like they're bleeding, God tells them, okay, you need to like go and quarantine. Like get out the city, don't get everyone around you sick, and like go and like chill for seven days, and then you can come back. Now, I'm not like a huge germaphobe. Is anyone here like a huge germaphobe? 
be honest. If just like any sick person just like grosses you out, freaks you out. Only, only one? No, okay. Well, okay, a few. Okay, I, I respect it. She's, she's pointing out her friend. But like God, what we see here is like, thank God God says to do that. Like Lord knows like you come to school and you got a kid that's like coughing up a storm and it's like got their like boogers everywhere. And they're like, no, bro, it's just allergies. It's like, nah, bro, like, like stay away from me. Like you, you should be home, right? God gives the people of Israel laws to protect them. God gives the people laws to protect them and to be able to walk in relationship with them. So once again, we say God calls us to obedience for our own good. Secondly, is that God is the only one who is sovereign and powerful enough to heal. Everyone say, God is the only one. God is the only one who is sovereign and powerful enough to heal. What we see in this passage is God says, if you follow my wisdom, if you follow my commands, my statutes, my rules, it's not him It's being harsh and a really irritated, stuck-up God. That God is saying that if you follow these laws, I'll help you walk in, in healing. You'll walk in wholeness, unlike the people of Egypt who their, their sin led to consequences, right? Their sin led to God having to punish them and enact justice. What we see here is that God is the only one who's able to keep disease from people, but also is able to punish people according to their sins. And so what we see is that God is the only one who's sovereign enough and powerful enough to heal people. And thirdly, is that God heals completely. Everyone say completely. God heals completely. And this is where I want to camp out for the last few minutes for today. When you look at the word for, for healing, and we talked about how it means to repair or, or to mend. When God calls himself healer, I'm going to teach you guys a really, really fun word in Hebrew. Are you guys ready? It's rofacha. Everyone say it, rofacha. Like 10% of you got it. You got it. In English, we don't say any of those like weird like, like words with like the ha in it. It's rofacha. Everyone say it. Okay, so that was maybe like 15, and you sound like you're choking. Get a medic. Okay, it's, it's this word rofacha, which means healer. And so there's 13 times in the Bible that this occurs, and 10 of them, shh, everyone lean in here, lean in. The 10 times that this word rofacham appears is, is in the section of the Bible in the Old Testament called the prophets. Everyone said the prophets. And so you have like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you have all of the minor prophets, the ones that's like really hard to find them in the Bible because they're like four pages long. It's those guys, no shame, it's hard to find. But we see that 10 of the times God calls himself healer is in these books. And this is what is usually happening in the, in the books of the prophets. Is usually the people are in exile. The people are living in extreme poverty. They're living in extreme brokenness. And when God comes and he speaks through, through the prophets, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Hosea, when he speaks to the prophets, he says, I am the Lord, your healer. And so he's talking to these people that are in immense brokenness. They're in immense hopelessness. They have, they have no good. They're in exile. They're away from their homeland. They've lost their families. Many of them have been put to death. And this is where we see God show that he is healer. And what we see here is that God being healer means that he will mend our brokenness. Everyone look at me. God being healer means that he 
mends or repairs our brokenness. I mean, that God's not just concerned about, like, you being physically okay and then, like, moving on. But the reality is our God, when he says that I am the Lord, your healer, when we look at this word, it means that he is the Lord that wants to bring back together. He's the Lord that wants to repair. He's the Lord that wants to mend the brokenness in our lives. Miana, you can go ahead and come on, come on up for worship. If you think about the most healing things in our lives, typically there's often pain attached to them, right? Like my, my story of three, four-year-old me, finger just chopped off by a door nearly, hanging on by a thread, blood everywhere. But what did I, what did I need when I was three and my finger was, was hanging on by a thread? I needed stitches, right? I needed something to, to repair my finger, to, to mend the, the brokenness in order to heal. We see this in, in surgery, where some of the most complex, crazy surgeries that doctors are able to do involves them going in and, and literally cutting someone open. Like they're usually asleep, praise God. I can't imagine a world without anesthesia. But the doctor goes in and, and cuts the person open and and usually a doctor needs to remove something or, or change something out. But in order to bring healing, the doctor has to cut them open and then through stitches mend them together. We see this in, in working out. Anyone like working out in here? Some of you are like, absolutely not. Don't say that word in church. Okay, it's okay if you don't. But if you think about working out, if you, if you lift weights, if you run, the way that you build muscle is by what? You work hard, and that actually tears the muscles. So when you, when you work out, when you're like, want to be an absolute like stud, a jock, and like you're hitting mad like curls, what actually happens is like those muscles tear apart. And in order for them to be rebuilt, it actually need, takes like the amino acids and proteins. Any, any people that love like science in here, you're big like anatomy and physiology nerd, you're awesome. It's super fascinating. I barely understand any of it. But the body has the, the muscles ripped apart, and when they come back together, when they're mended, they grow back stronger. You see, this is what the Lord wants to do with you and I. This is such a simple word to say that our God is a healer, but sometimes when we, when we think healing, we only think like, oh, I have an injury, like I need God to come and do something. And he does do physical healings. We talked about that all throughout the summer, how our God is a God of miracles. He works in the supernatural. He works in amazing ways. I've seen it with my own two eyes. It's amazing. But the reality is, is that God doesn't want to just bring you physical healing and then move on. God wants to come to the most broken places in your life. And like a good dad, like a good father, he wants to come close to you. Okay, he wants to come close to you and he wants to bring healing to your heart. He wants to bring healing to your mind. Maybe you struggle with intense fear or anxiety or maybe you struggle with lots of thoughts of depression. God being a healer means that he comes to mend your brokenness. He comes into those, to those difficult places in your heart, in your mind, in your life to repair those. I don't ever know. Look at me. Look at me. What I want you to hear tonight is that God 
is a God who is a healer. He reveals himself like this to the people of Israel. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Meaning that God wants to come in and mend the deepest brokenness that you have in your heart. I love this story in the Gospels, Mark chapter 5. We talked about it this past summer. We have the woman with the issue of blood. It's this amazing story where the, the woman with the issue of blood, she's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Longer than some of you have been alive, or like your whole lifetime. Imagine just like bleeding out for 12 years, your whole life. You can't do anything. You're constantly tired. You're fatigued. Like there's so much physical brokenness. But we also talked about how this woman, she would have intense emotional baggage. That in this culture, because she'd be unclean from her flow of blood, she would have had to be an outcast. Imagine being by yourself for 12 years. Okay, it's like COVID times a billion, like quarantine times, like 12 years. This woman's by herself, marginalized. People want to stay away from her because she's a dirty sinner. That must be the reason why she has this disease. It's the way that these people thought. If you remember the story, it, it says that this woman has such faith that she said, if I just touch Jesus' robe, I'll, I'll be healed. And so she goes and, and pushes through the crowd. And as Jesus is walking through this, this busy crowd, she, she grabs onto his robe. And instantly, it says, her flow of blood stopped and she was healed. It's an amazing, miraculous story. That's not actually the point of the story. But the point of the story is that Jesus stops and he, and he asks this question, which because Jesus fully got, he knows the answer. But he says, who, who touched me? And everyone's like, well, Jesus. And there's like a billion people around. Like, like everyone's touching you. But Jesus knows that, that this woman touched his robes, that she could get healing. But Jesus stops and asks this question so that this lady, this, this, this woman has to come to Jesus and say, it, it was me. Which was risky. Which was dangerous. She could have been stoned for it. Because she was breaking the law. Touching another man in the midst of her, of her ceremonially uncleanliness. We see that Jesus looks at this woman in the face and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Or it actually means your faith has saved you. Jesus looks at this woman's face and tells her this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. This is, as I was praying for you guys, I was in this room just a few hours ago. I feel like the message was pretty, was pretty simple today. I feel like God is wanting each of you to know that God being your healer means that he cares about every single thing going on in your life. Some of you are going through difficulty in your family. You know what God's heart longs to do? Because he's a healer, that's who he is. He wants to mend that brokenness. Okay? If your mind feels like just this constant war zone, anxious thoughts, fearful thoughts, thoughts of depression, difficult things in your mind, God comes to you and says, I care about you. I care about you and I want to bring wholeness to those things. I want to mend those things. 
whatever the situation is in your life. God wants to bring wholeness to you. So this is what we're going to do. I want you guys just to stand up and, and spread out across the room. Don't be next to anyone. Don't talk to anyone. We're just going to have a few minutes. Just a few minutes. Where I want us to come before the Lord. I encourage you to get on your knees. Or sit down maybe with your hands open. This is what I want us to do. For a minute or two, I want us to approach the Lord and say, Lord, where do I need your healing in my life? Don't be next to anyone. Go and spread out. Fellas right here, go and spread out. Ask the Lord. Lord, where do I need your healing in my life? Where do I need you to mend brokenness? So go ahead for a minute or two. Just, just bring that to the Lord. Just ask him. Ask him to reveal to your mind, to your heart, to speak it to you. For he wants to bring healing to you.